Hello and welcome to the Extremist Publishing Podcast. I'm Tom Christie, and it's a great pleasure to be joined today by Stilling's favourite archaeologist, author, researcher, lecturer and all-round good egg, Dr Murray Cook. <laughs> Thanks very much for that, Tom. I, I thought you were... Uh... I thought that was going to go somewhere else there. I'm very pleased <laughs> that you've played me in such glowing terms. Now, Murray, you've recently completed work with Ian McNeish on a brand new book, The Bannet Burn, Journeys Along and Across Scotland's Most Famous Burn. The world's most famous burn, Tom. Yeah, yes, indeed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now, Murray and Ian have spent years working on this project, so it's really good to see it come to its conclusion but can you tell us a bit more Murray about the inception of the project and how it came about well yes Tom and, and thank you for the invitation and indeed all your hard work on the book um, so I, I had wanted to write a popular account of something in Stirling and struggled to kind of come up with a, an inspiration and I thought walking the Bannockburn would provide a kind of a structure and I knew there were a series of stories and tales, everything from million year old fossils through to the battle, through to the Jacobite plots, through to, uh, of course, the Battle of Bannockburn and then Tartan. But uh, I couldn't really work out how to do it. So I walked the burn, I started writing and I couldn't really get it going. And I knew that Ian had worked with you guys before and he knew how to write a book so I said why don't we do it together so we walked the burn I walked chunks of it again uh, with Ian we took photographs as we went along and we actually added two years to the research here because Ian went down a few rabbit holes I went in other directions and eventually uh, I think the book was much better for the extra two years but of course by that point I'd written three others which are also available at <laughs> from extremists um, so uh, there was the inspiration but just a kind of a 14 mile walk um, crammed with all kinds of stories about Scottish history, geography and as it weaves through Stirling it weaves through Scotland's past now, as somebody who's lived here in Stirling for a long, long time, I was really amazed to read this book because, I mean, starting up at Earl's Hill and going all the way to the uh, the confluence with the River Forth, uh, you have uncovered so many really amazing stories, some of them quite ancient and some of them a bit more modern. So was there anything that really stood out to you as being a, a surprise or something that really took you aback when you were researching the book? I, th I think it was just how ubiquitous the burn is. There's this, um, and of course that all of this is tied into Stirling. So to go north, you have to go through Stirling. And to get to Stirling, you have to go past the Bannockburn. Um, so every aspect of Scotland's history touches upon it. But then when you actually drill right down into that, those kind of, um, the, the depth of those stories, so the kind of Lady Stair, who is kidnapped by her Jacobite husband for fear that she leaks something about Bonnie Prince Charlie in the 45 and ends up in um, in St Kilda and, and we walk past where she's initially held um, next to the Bannockburn then the role of Tartan you know in the Bannockburn and, and actually all of those workers cottages and then stories to do with um, the Tsar 
and socks uh, to do with brochs and hillforts and Celts and Romans and actually just a, a, an astonishing um, connection the Earl's, Earl's Hill that you mentioned that's the Earl of Stirling who founds Nova Scotia um, but promptly goes bankrupt and his line dies out I think with his grandson um, and there are no more Earls of Stirling um, and all of this in, in what is a very very pleasant walk sometimes a little bit challenging especially as there's a, a motorway two way I have to cross two motorways to do the walk properly which involves walking under the bridges which is always uh, fun to walk under a motorway bridge but no I, I think um, for anyone interested in Stirling for anyone interested in Scottish history um, the Bannockburn is central to Scottish identity to the Scottish brand and actually to our place and our relationship with, with the rest of Britain and the world. Well, one thing that really stood out to me uh, when I was putting the book together uh, was the sheer number of incredible illustrations that you provided that you and Ian together uh, had photographed or been able to collect together uh, during the, the course of your research. Uh, there must have been some fascinating stories behind that. Well, yes. I mean, uh, the thing is, there were, there were at least half a dozen trips up um, by North Third to get the light right. <laughs> I was up at uh, dawn. Uh, I was there at uh, sunset. I've been in the winter, in the snow. I've been in the blazing sunshine. So, and then, of course, some of it, there are archival material. Um, so Falkirk archives to look at the construction of North Third Reservoir. Um, one or two locals recording the destruction of Beaton's Mill, uh, which is perhaps connected to the murder of James III, which you'll find out if you read the book. Um, and Ian knows loads of these people, and, and actually putting things on Facebook and actually finding out the wealth of information, the generosity of the people of Stirling, and you know, one of the, the, the smaller subtails which uh, you can ask Ian about, you'll go into greater detail, is the, the race course at uh, Corbywood and um, just the, the kind of the, the trotting races and the stories and the families and the, uh, the animals connected to all of that. Um, and of course, the great, uh, the slightly poignant bit for that, of course, is Corbywood is no more. It's been pulled down and, and, and actually pulled down just as the book um, was being finalised. Um, so we have a, a whole series of images of, uh, you know, a, a lost site, a lost community hub, um, and including Bannockburn Boxing Club, which I hope has relocated. But we capture the, the murals, very, very kind of exuberant and, and uh, joyous. Uh, murals about the, from the boxing club but again all of that is now gone And something else that comes out of the book of course are some of the remarkable findings that you've come across as a result of excavations in the area whether it be Roman relics or whether it be uh, the lime kilns that were excavated uh, there must be some fascinating stories behind uh, those excavations Well yes, you know the, the, the one of the things I, I kind of almost feel I have to do is, is to dig and uh, if a summer goes by without a dig or without several digs, it's summer wasted. So um, the two of the key excavations are um, the lime kilns in the upper reaches of the Bannockburn where nature is carving through a lost ocean. So we have lime fossil beds uh, 
and actually this makes the limestone very very easy to carve out so first is um, lime mortar and lime wash probably for the great hall in Stirling and then gradually the scale of these lime kilns increases and they move down the bannock burn and eventually all of these kind of fossils are clawed and burnt um, in order to raise the fertility of um, the reclaimed land around the, the, the kind of the karst around Stirling and, and that limestone is intimately connected to a kind of a 300% increase in agricultural output uh, which is fascinating and of course the limestone probably also lies behind one of the, the Brock link structures that we dug which happens to be in a in a military off-road training ground uh, and um, this was a re-excavation it, it's um, just behind Gillies Hill in Cambus Barron Ca Castle, Castle Hill Wood Dune um, which was first dug in the 50s and um, the attitude of the excavator there was to view it as a kind of a a slightly secondary structure not well built and and his experience in World War two led him to to think it was refugees fleeing the Roman invasion uh, or uh, refugees kind of getting into trouble after the Romans retreat uh, and all of that's quite interesting when you read the paper but then a more sophisticated approach reveals that the structure is pre-Roman and actually an elite structure and just continues in use into the Roman period so perhaps occupation over several hundred years and something and just without the kind of uh, the blinkers or the shades from World War Two, which which makes you view things in a certain manner so um, all of that structure is, is still there still visible to still able to visit it I, I just have to watch that they're not doing off-road training <laughs> I'll watch for the red flag uh, but it's perfectly safe if there's no red flag. Well, on the very subject of excavations, uh, you recently had a very well-attended book launch with Ian um, for the book's uh, release on the 1st of September, and there was definitely an archaeological link to that event as well, wasn't there? Yes, yes. Well, we'd, we'd chosen... I, I was, I've been doing a small amount of research on the Wilsons of Bannockburn Mill in the village of Bannockburn, and, and this is the, the home to the, the modern tartan industry and, and the tradition and of course tradition and family myth uh, all merge into one here so um, after Culloden and the 45 um, tartan is banned north of the Highland Line now quite what that means is subject to debate but it, it's very clear to stress that tartan was illegal there were prosecutions people were broken up by the military there was at least one let's call it an extrajudicial uh, killing, where a man in Tartan is fleeing troops and the troops shoot him, probably in the back, uh, to try and stop him escaping. So um, wearing Tartan w was dangerous. Um, uh, but of course the Wilsons are south of the Highland Line, so the family tradition is that they were able to steal a, a march on their competitors and uh, started weaving and their business grew and their business grew and as uh, restrictions were lifting lifted they and and this is the clever part they either documented the tartan or their documentation created tartan and and there is a sensitivity here um while tartan is ancient and going back to at least the records at least back to the 16th century um 
quite this version of, of family tartans that we see today and tartans for this and tartans for that is clearly the creation of the Wilsons along with the Sobieski Stuarts uh, and basically this is a different patterns to monetize what's going on and Bannockburn is where that process begins and you have the clear contrast between the workers the mill the workers accommodation and then of course the magnificent Bannockburn house that the Wilson family bought with all the money they generated from um, from the tartan trade and these houses were slums and, and cleared in the 60s so the houses um, including cellar dwellings so basements without natural light and damp conditions cold um, all survive below the ground surface and, and actually remarkable to, to bring these buildings back to life or their remains back to life and, and we hope to kind of do more in future years and, and try and create uh, something for people to see on the ground. Now, for someone like myself who has no professional involvement with history, it would be all too easy to mistakenly think that excavations are something that can bring us closer to antiquity in the way that people um, behaved in classical history um, but when you and Ian were at North Third you discovered something um, there that was actually much more recent well of course yes um, and, and the thing the thing with archaeology is it's a technique it sounds ancient but it's as pl applicable to uh, World War Two as it is to the kind of uh, the Bronze Age or the Neolithic and, and, and this is all Ian I, I, have to, I have to give Ian due credit here um, the banks of the Bannockburn in January uh, 1943 witnessed a fatal crash of a, a Spitfire pilot from um, from Belgium. He had escaped. He, he'd fought the Germans in Belgium. He had been captured. He escaped Colditz, came to Britain, volunteered, um, and, and he was a he was a fighter pilot. So he ended up training in a Spitfire. His uh, base was at Ballado, which was a, a kind of satellite base for Grangemouth. And he had a fatal crash, but we're, we're not certain. Perhaps his oxygen froze, he passed out, and he crashed into the banks of the Bannockburn at North Third. And, and this site, had, the Spitfire had been recovered uh, 10, 20, uh, 20 years ago. Uh, and, and Ian and I uh, were fascinated by the story. Ian in particular and and Henri uh, Baptiste I will forget I, I forget his precise name, um, uh, and and some of some of the remains of the Spitfire were still in Stirling and and Ian uh, arranged to have those returned to the relatives uh, a, a remarkable story a remarkable hero, um, and and actually astonishing to think just how close we were in World War Two, how integrated we were with, with our European uh, cousins and friends, that this was us fighting a European war uh, against German aggression and Belgian pilots fighting and dying in Scotland for European freedom. Uh, a, a remarkable tale. Um, and, and our plan, which we are doing at the moment, is to, to create a memorial on the site to Henri and to his uh, ultimate sacrifice, which which I think needs to be better known. And on the subject of the North Third Reservoir, I mean, one of the things that really jumped out to me from your book 
was not just the many historical tales that you tell, but also the incredible natural history of the Bannockburn as well. Well, yes. I mean, the the, the Bannockburn now is, is a haven for wildlife, and, and um, North Third is full of rare insects and migrating birds. It's, it's no longer a, a reservoir, uh, or rather, it's no longer a, a, a tapped reservoir, so Scottish Water own it and maintain it, but they're not using the water. And, and if you if you go there, there are a variety of insects, there are a variety of migrative geese, um, osprey. I've seen osprey catch fish straight out the, the North Third. That, that is wonderful, let alone the, the range of rare insect. And actually, as a place just to sit and contemplate, uh, it's amazing. But don't, <laughs> don't go into the vegetation because the, uh, the upper reaches are full of ticks. Um, so if you do go take a seat or take a tarp to sit on uh, and, and just in case you take something back with you. And it would be remiss of me not to ask, given the many amazing places that you visited and the many astonishing tales that you, you uh, bring to life throughout the course of your book, if there wasn't a favourite that you had um, that you encountered along the way? I think, well, the, the, the trouble is... It, it's probably Ian's, and it, and it's probably Ian's story of the um, Betty, uh, who was a child of a soldier, um, left after uh, after the, the Battle of Culloden, troops in Stirling, and uh, someone abandoned their young daughter, who was raised locally, and in turn whose son was press ganged into the army, and then ended up fighting. Uh, the Russian Navy captured by the Russians and her um, her determination to get her son out of uh, Russian captivity led her to walk to Paisley to get material knitted socks, sent them to the Tsar the Tsar was so impressed by this that uh, he released the son and the uh, family still have the yarn uh, in their possession uh, which is, so, so we're looking at um, 200 year old yarn passed down from I think uh, father to son and father to daughter and mother to daughter etc 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 but the family still have them and I never I wasn't involved in this uh, really all credit to Ian um, but he handled the he handled the, the yarn and actually photographed it and, and you will see the photograph in the book and that's such a, a human story and, and actually especially poignant at the moment when yet again uh, we're in Europe. There's a European war involving Russia, um, so very poignant for me, I think. Well, Murray, thank you so much for having joined us today to talk about the Bannockburn. I know that it's a book that has been worked on by you and Ian for a number of years now. Um, you, I know that you wanted to get it just right and to bring out all of these incredible stories uh, in a really richly illustrated uh, way. Um, and I would also recommend to anyone who, who uh, reads it to come to the area and use the beautifully illustrated uh, maps in the book um, to come along and uh, visit the area for themselves. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. The whole point of the book was to let you follow in our footsteps. Um, so it is, it's a walk that can be done in a day uh, if you push yourselves. <laughs> but um, I, hope to, I hope you enjoy it and perhaps I might even see you in uh, Stirling when you come. Thank you very much. 
The Bannet Burn is available to buy from all good online retailers and independent booksellers worldwide. Thanks very much for joining us today. I hope that you'll join us again soon.